America's an idea. An idea stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean. The single greatest nation in the history of the world, and the best is yet to come. From the U.S. Embassy in Dublin, this is The Diplomatic Pouch. Stand by, stand by. Uh, CNN right now is moving our earlier declaration of Florida back to the too-close-to-call column. Ah. 25 very big electoral votes in the home state of the governor's brother, Jeb Bush, are hanging in the balance. <laughs> this no longer is a victory for <laughs> Vice President Gore. We're moving it back. I'm Dermot Keane from the Public Affairs Office at the Embassy. And I'm John B. Murphy. Welcome back. In this episode, we will take a look at postal voting, how that is playing possibly its biggest ever role in an election due to the pandemic. And as this election could be close, later we will look at one of the closest in history, election 2000 and the Florida recount. That's right, Dermot. Sometimes circumstances such as the COVID-19 pandemic make it difficult or even impossible for people to vote on election day. States are making it easier for citizens to vote absentee by mail this year. Now, I should point out that every state's absentee voting rules are different. But to hear more about absentee voting, let's bring in Leslie Marshall, radio talk show host and Fox News contributor. What it comes down to in the United States is um, absentee ballots are requested. Mail-in ballots would be mailed to you. You have the option to mail it in or to go out and vote. And the reason during this COVID-19 pandemic they want to do this is so that people don't feel that they can't vote if they are elderly, handicapped, uh, don't have the way to get uh, to, uh, to vote uh, to the ballot box, or are fearful of going out to vote um, because of masks, social distancing, COVID-19, and new information constantly coming up about the virus and um, how you can be protected or how you aren't protected and whether it's airborne or not, that kind of thing. Now, Leslie, there have been question marks over postal voting and the mention of the possibility of fraud. Look, we've had absentee uh, ballots, um, you know, for, for decades in this country without incident. Um, there is absolutely zero proof that it is racked with fraud. There were very, 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 very minimal cases of fraud. Uh, the U.S. military um, has who, who historically vote Republican and in 2016 overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump by mail, um, have voted by mail. Um, so you have an absentee ballot or a mail-in ballot. Now, talk to me about early voting. We don't have early voting in Ireland. You look at the American news now and you're seeing lines that last for miles, weeks before the elections. A lot of states are allowing citizens to vote during a designating early voting period, right? Yes, Dermot. It's a very different system when you compare it to Ireland. And the Pew Research Centre says that about 4 in 10 registered voters, 39%, say they plan to cast their vote by absentee or mail-in ballot this year, or already have done so, compared with 33% who say they plan to vote in person on November 3rd, and to 21% 
who have voted in person or plan to vote in person at an early voting location before election day. So we caught up with writer and broadcaster Maureen McKeown on what impact she thinks it's having on the election. Oh, I think it's had a huge impact already. Uh, I was in Cleveland yesterday morning at 7.30 and I was outside the early voting centre on Uslip Street in, in downtown Cleveland. There were at least three, four, five hundred people lined up at 7.30 in the morning to cast their early vote. This was the 16th day of early voting in Cleveland and there were still 12 days to go to the election. Uh, I think the postal voting, I'm getting a sense that you know, Donald Trump um, was very consistent in saying that uh, postal voting is fraudulent, that votes wouldn't be counted, they'd be lost, they'd be deliberately lost in some cases. And I think that that spooked a lot of Americans who really wanted their votes to count. So I think that instead of going overwhelmingly for postal voting, what Americans have done is they've gone overwhelmingly for early voting, where they will physically line up and they will put their ballots in the box and know for sure that they'll be counted. Okay, we've heard how people are voting, but let's now look at how the actual election night might go. What actually happens on the night? Well, let's check back in with Paul Saracic from Youngstown University in Ohio, who can talk us through polls closing and early results coming in. Right. Well, you know, in terms of time zones, right, we're going to move from the eastern time zone to the western time zone. Um, And kind of the good thing, I suppose, for getting results is that most of the states that we're going to be paying particular attention to, um, particularly a state like Florida or Ohio or Pennsylvania, they're all in the eastern time zone. Um, So that means, you know, by around eight or nine o'clock, again, eastern um, standard time in the United States, we're gonna start getting returns in um, from those you know, East Coast states. And we'll start getting an idea of where this election is. Now, um, it's gonna be a little bit deceiving, particularly this time, you know, already about, I think I saw an estimate of about 34 million, meaning about one in four people who are likely to vote in 2020 have already voted. Uh, meaning they voted by mail, early in person. There's all sorts of ways in the United States that you can vote early. Um, and those votes have already been cast. That means they probably already arrived and they're ready to be counted. And they will be counted first. So you'll see those numbers coming in first. We suspect that um, former Vice President Biden is going to do better than President Trump in those early votes, since Democrats seem to be much more um, cautious about voting in person than Republicans are. So that means the initial returns might look overly favorable uh, to Vice President Biden as they come in, come in on the East Coast. As the night progresses, we'll start counting the votes that actually took place on election day, right? And that'll probably be, you know, at least 70% of the votes. Um, you know, that margin will, could favor uh, President Trump because Republicans are more likely to vote on election day. So I think you could see some shifting you know, going forward. So election night this year is going to be very different, I think, for us. We've both, the la- we've done the last two election nights in the Guinness Storehouse Correct. in Dublin. And we've had, there's been great nights there. Watching the results come in, I, I mean, it really is an enjoyable night, which obviously won't be happening this year because of the pandemic. 
exactly uh, the who's who of Dublin society and uh, politicians from Leinster House and a lot of our key contacts uh, as well as the media would be there at the Guinness Storehouse on election night and uh, we've all the screens screens everywhere all the networks uh, you know carrying all the different networks that night so you can watch the states be called for you know the presidential candidates and it, it really is an exciting atmosphere I though would love to be in the states I've never been in the states for an election well I actually was um, for the 2008 presidential election between Barack Obama and John McCain Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, that was in my uh, former life, uh, working for News Talk Radio. Um, that night, I attended an election party in the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. And what was that like? Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it was a, a great night there. Uh, the TV screens were all around again. And uh, I spoke to lots of uh, interesting people. Um, I remember at one point I was talking to the actress Kate Burton, um, to some of our listeners. Uh, she's probably best known as Meredith's mother in Grey's Anatomy. Wow. Uh, but she's also the daughter of the famous Welsh actor Richard Burton, wow. who had uh, a lot of links to Ireland. And uh, we spoke uh, about him filming in Ireland. So, so there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of atmosphere, there's a lot of you know people around Washington that night. Indeed, there is. And uh, then at a certain stage, uh, we watched John McCain's concession speech live on TV. And then, of course, Barack Obama's victory speech uh, was uh, beamed live from uh, the stage in Grant Park, Chicago. Um, so, yes, a lot of emotion in the room, uh, regardless of party affiliation. There's no doubt that the election of Barack Obama was a historic moment. Uh, people were crying tears of joy and uh, there was great scenes of uh, jubilation. It must have and been a great atmosphere kind of across the city that night then. Yes, when I was walking back to my hotel uh, that night after the party, people had filled the streets. They were out dancing, uh, young kids even out break dancing on oh. the pavements. Uh, so, you know, the Americans do pomp and ceremony very well. Uh, so it was certainly an exciting time to be in the US. I'm sure a few glasses of wine were had. Well, I mean, I had a long day working in radio. Um, so of course. Uh, uh, I'm sure I had a G&T as would have been well deserved. Absolutely. Well, I've always wondered what the candidates do on election day and election night, you know, and the campaign teams. What what are they doing? Interesting question. And I put this to Eli Atty. He's the writer and producer of The West Wing, but he served as uh, Vice President Al Gore's chief speechwriter, including uh, the campaign of 2000. You know, um, there's not a lot that the candidate can do. I think in the case of Al Gore, um, he did as many phone calls and satellite interviews sort of local media into areas where the polls hadn't closed, um, you know, to urge people to get out and vote, those sorts of things. But there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of waiting. Uh, I would say that's, you know, true for a lot of staff, depending on what their jobs are. For me as a speechwriter, I had a very unusual experience on the Gore campaign because 
I had a concession speech written. I didn't show it to anybody. I didn't discuss it with anybody. That was actually the speech that was loaded on the teleprompter on the actual election night that Gore was about to give when we learned uh, that Florida had narrowed so much that it was an automatic recount. Um, but you know, I also had a victory speech and a victory That's what speech. I was just about to say, so you, you write, do you write both speeches? You write both speeches. I, I think that's, that's something you have to do. Um, you never know. And uh, even if you're 10 points ahead in an election, it's good practice to have that concession speech. It doesn't hurt. You don't have to show it to anyone. Al Gore ever asked me to see it. But he did ask me to see the victory speech because if he had won uh, that night, then that's a governing document. He's laying out themes and ideas that, you know, people are going to scrutinize. So he wanted to look at it and play around with it. But, but that was a very close election, as this one is expected to be close, at least in the Electoral College, uh, if not the popular vote. And, and um, a, few, a couple weeks before Election Day, or maybe about a week before Election Day, one of our strategists pulled me aside and said, you know, um, we're seeing a scenario here based on, based on polling. I mean, it was just like a week before the election where it's possible Gore could win the Electoral College but lose the popular vote. And you may want to do a version of a speech for that eventuality. Just basically saying, look, you know, I, 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 you know, I want to bring, bring the country together and everyone, whether you voted for me or not, I want to be your president. And, and this particular person said to me, you know, write that and just keep it in your back pocket. I don't need to see it. Nobody needs to see it. Just have it. Then someone else pulled me aside and said, hey, we're looking at some polling here and there's an outside chance of an electoral college tie where it could come down to absentee ballots in a single state. So just write a statement for, for Gore saying, hey, we fought a great campaign and we won't know the result for a few days, but like, thank you all. And just have it in your back pocket and don't show it to anyone. So I did that. And I also had the concession and the, and the victory speech. Then Gore said to me, you know, it, it's, it's possible that we will win the election, but lose my home state of Tennessee. And I'd like to have a special version reaching out to Tennessee and talking about my ties to Tennessee and how I want to, you know, win them back and whatever. And, and, you know, so I had had five versions of a speech for election night and we didn't use any of them. Uh, so, you know, preparedness only gets you so far. Fascinating to hear from Eli. And I know we'll hear from him later on in the show. Isn't it cool though to hear those kind of stories? from someone who's so close to history as it happens. Indeed, and we'd be hearing from Eli a little later. But now, for a second, can I move you on? I asked Marion McKeown, what should we expect results-wise on election night? It will all depend on the Electoral College. If, who, if, if on, on the night, on November 3rd, on that night, if either candidate gets more than 270 votes, it doesn't matter on the electoral college, it doesn't matter how many million votes are still uncounted. You know, so it, it could be decided on the night in that context. What I think is possible also is that the um, number of votes and, and the on the night um, voting, which we all stay up and watch until three, four, five in the morning, won't be clear cut that there, a, a conclusive leader may not emerge. Let's say they're both, uh, both get between let's say 268 and 270 electoral college votes, which is as close as it can get. I think either side could easily contest it in, in that situation. Contest it? Well, we're not without precedent there. Coming up, we look at the 2000 
presidential election. NBC News is now taking Florida out of Vice President Gore's column and putting it back in the too close to call column. Bulletin, Florida pulled back into the undecided column. Computer and data problem. We pulled it back until we can examine the data and see where we are. This knockdown drag out battle drags on into the night and turn the lights down. The party just got wilder. We don't just have egg in our face, we've got omelet all over our suits. So, as we have heard earlier, there may be the possibility of things being drawn out due to the delay in counting postal votes. But, JB, there is an election we can look at where something similar has happened. That's right. In the 2000 US presidential election, the outcome was not known for more than a month after voting day because of the extended process of counting and recounting Florida's presidential ballots. So we spoke to Al Gore's chief speechwriter, Eli Atty earlier. So let's hear from him now on how things played out on that fateful night. I was in a van with the chairman of the campaign, uh, a guy named Bill Daly, who was later the mayor of Chicago, and, um, and also uh, Carter Eskew, who was our chief strategist. And as we were pulling up to the war memorial for Gore to concede in a speech I'd written that he'd seen that was being loaded into the teleprompter at that moment, um, we got the news, well, Bill Daly got the news that we were only 600 votes behind in Florida. And, and mind you, Florida was called for Bush by his cousin, John Ellis, who was the political director at Fox News. And then NBC called the election for Bush I, we were told at the behest of um, the CEO of General Electric, who was at the time a big Bush donor. So the networks jumped the gun and called Florida, even though the numbers didn't completely support it yet. And then the election was called for Bush, kind of on that basis. But we believed we had lost, and we went down to the War Memorial to concede, and Gore called Bush to concede. All I was told was, we're only 600 votes behind in Florida, and we didn't really know what that meant. We didn't even know at that moment that that meant an automatic recount the next day, an electronic recount. But our strategist looked at me and said, you know, you better change the language in the speech so it's not binding, legally binding, which doesn't mean anything, but we were just confused in the moment. So the motorcade at that point arrived at the War Memorial, screeched to a halt. I jumped out with my little laptop and printer. And at that moment, an advanced person said to me, uh, Al Gore's looking for you. And I just ran to the holding room and he probably just wanted to make sure the speech was loaded properly and he was ready to go because he always checked in with me before he gave a speech that was on a teleprompter. I was in charge of that. And I reached him before anybody else. And I said, with 99.9% .9 of the vote counted, you're only 600 votes behind in Florida. You need to talk to Bill and Carter. And he just looked at me like, huh? Like he didn't really process it. And I'm not sure I did. And at that moment, Carter and Bill came racing in and they pulled him into a back room and I just set up my computer and my printer. They must have by that point known this is an automatic recount. We need to retract your concession. You know, you need to call George Bush back. And I, I'm at a little desk in an outer area of this war memorial holding room and Gore comes back out and from that desk, about two feet away from where I'm standing, he calls George Bush and retracts his concession. And it was an extraordinary moment and very unreal. So after an intense recount process, 
and the United States Supreme Court's decision in Bush versus Gore, George Bush won Florida's electoral votes by a margin of just 537 votes out of almost 6 million cast. And as a result, he became the president-elect. 537 votes won the 2000 presidential election. It just shows you that every vote counts. It does, and it also shows you that, you know, vote early and vote often, I think, is a message you take from that too. Absolutely. And this process was extremely divisive and led to calls for electoral reform in Florida. Now, after this, Al Gore did accept defeat and conceded. Indeed, and on this I spoke with American political consultant Tad Devine, who was a senior advisor in Al Gore's 2000 presidential campaign. It did. It, it went on in early December. And, uh, you know, under the Constitution of the United States, the Electoral College uh, has to decide, uh, will decide who the is. The electors are elected. Usually the whoever gets the most vote in the state wins all the electors. There's a couple of small exceptions to that rule in a couple of states. But uh, and then finally, what ended the counting was um, the decision of the United States Supreme Court to enforce the timetables uh, under which states needed to certify their um, electors. And so, so that process occurred in early December when the, when the 5-4 decision of the Supreme Court came down, Vice President Gore accepted it. Uh, I think it was, you know, uh, very unfortunate for us because we believed if that count had continued, we would have won. But I also think it was a demonstration of his tremendous respect for the rule of law and a, and a willingness to sacrifice his own political future um, to abide by the rule of law. And so it was, I thought it was very important for the country and, and frankly, a lesson that I hope, uh, you know, we, we look to now in, in this election in America, you know, our, our laws, their purpose. And uh, Al Gore understood that, respected it and abided by it. There we have it. A really interesting insight into that election. Will 2020 be as dramatic? I guess we will know shortly. Well... Election day is on November 3rd, so we will know results sometime after that. And that's it from us on elections. But don't worry, the diplomatic pouch will be back. There is plenty more to come. JB, you can go off now and research Inauguration Day. I will. And we will have a few more episodes in this Election 2020 series as we approach Inauguration Day. But after that, we will have many more topics to delve into and interesting interviewees that we're going to chat to. Thanks to our contributors, Eli Addy, Paul Sarachik, Tad Devine, Marion McKeown and Leslie Marshall. For now, take care.